Acts of the Attributes of God, week four. Um, last week we talked about God being spirit. And I talked about how mentioning that almost immediately draws our attention to John chapter four, verse 24. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Uh, last week we talked about what it means that God is spirit. So let's recap what we talked about and, and what this means. Just a few points, high level of what it means that God is spirit. So number one, God is incorporeal. That means he has no physical body, no flesh and bones. He is not like man or beast. John Calvin says this, he says, his spiritual nature forbids our imaging anything earthly or carnal of him. God's majesty is sullied, and that means soiled or tarnished. His majesty is sullied by an unfitting and absurd fiction. When the incorporeal is made to resemble corporeal matter, the invisible, a visible likeness the spirit, an inanimate object, the immeasurable, a puny bit of wood, stone, or gold. That's what John Calvin says about God being incorporeal. He is present everywhere. That's something else that we talked about last week. Jeremiah 23, uh, verse 24 says this. It says, can a man hide himself in hiding places, so I do not see him, declares the Lord. Do I not fill the heavens and the earth, declares the Lord. So God is everywhere. Uh, we spoke about some portions of scripture which speak about body parts in reference to God. These references do not mean that God actually has hands, feet, or arms. These are examples of anthropomorphisms and the anthropomorphic language, which, again, is not uh, inherently theological, as we discussed, but it describes God through metaphoric figures of speech as if he were a man. So speaking of God's hand and arm, that means he is he's the creator and savior. Uh, speaking of his his power and his eyes that speaks of his knowledge and his providence. Um, we also talked about the importance of God being spirit in relation to the Trinity, God, the father, God, the son, God, the Holy Spirit, the triune God three in one. We said that's that's a mystery to behold. But God has shown us all that we need to know about him in terms of salvation. We spoke about how the triune God is not only spirit, but also perfectly united in will and purpose. So in salvation of the elect, there is unity there. Like we talked about um, in first Peter. Uh, when we baptize, we baptize in the name of the Father and, and uh, of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We also said in regard to the Trinity that the Godhead equally holds all attributes. 
they're not delegated or split between each person of the Godhead. Each person has each and every attribute in its entirety. So holiness, eternality, love, wrath, all of these things are shared equally between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's not lessened or diminished between any of the three. They all hold them equally. Um, and then as a last point of reference to the spiritual being of God, his invisibility was also discussed. So God cannot be seen with human eyes. And this also ties into what we'll be uh, talking about tonight, the main focus of tonight, um, which is also the focus of John chapter four, verses seven through twenty six, the worship of God. So there is no direct or physical sight of God's being, no size, shape, color that we can see. He is made known, however, through the things he has made. Uh, revelations of God are made through created means. And we turn to uh, Romans chapter one last week to read that, but not by a direct apprehension of God's being. We conceive God by faith, seeing him who is invisible as revealed by his word. So God graciously reveals his invisible glory through <coughs> His son, also Jesus Christ. We read about that last week in in uh, Colossians. I think that's kind of where we finished up. But he reveals his invisible glory through his son, Jesus Christ, the word made flesh, full of grace and truth. John chapter one, verse 14 says. Thomas Watson, a quote from him, it says. How then shall we conceive God as spirit if we make no image or resemblance of him? We must conceive of him spiritually in his attributes, his holiness, justice and goodness, which are the beams by which his divine nature shines forth. We must conceive of him as he is in Christ. God's invisibility is a revelation of his glory. First uh, Timothy 117, it says now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. So what are what are some of the implications of this, of God being spirit? How are we to approach him in terms of worship as john 4 24 says we are to worship him in spirit and in truth so let's turn to john 4 and we'll read uh verses 10 through 26 any questions before we uh before we read any questions or comments all right so starting in verse 10, it says, Jesus answered and said to her, said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. She said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with 
and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle? Jesus answered and said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty nor come all the way here to draw. He said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have correctly said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands and the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped in this mountain and you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and truth. For such people, the father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ. When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. So. In spirit and truth, that's how we are to worship God. So let's talk a little more about what that means. So spirit, spirit is a person's inner life of thought or uh, emotion. And this is seen in Christ. If we look at John chapter 11, uh, verse 33. <clears throat> John chapter 11, verse 33, it says, when Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled. So this shows the 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 emotion right there. He was uh, he was moved in spirit and was troubled. First um, Corinthians chapter two, verse 11. It says this, it says, for who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God, no one knows except the spirit of God. So we see here again another example of 
this speaks of a person's knowledge, will, or emotions. This is uh, that's that's what it's showing us here. Um, truth. Truth is full divine revelation. So John chapter one verse seventeen. It says this. It says for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. And let's go back to John chapter 4 and read verses 25 and 26. And it says this. It says, the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ. When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. So Jesus is the truth. Just like he says, he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. So when we are speaking of truth, we are speaking of the full divine revelation given through Christ. Any questions? All right. So we are to worship in spirit and truth. So under the old covenant, repentance was necessary. Uh, Psalm 51, 17 shows us uh, repentance. <clears throat> 51, 17. It says the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and a contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. So repentance was definitely necessary under the old covenant. But there was also a sacrificial system in place, which involved holy places, objects, priests, rituals, and sacrifices. So you also could not come to God in just any flippant manner, um, nor could you worship or make sacrifices to him in a manner that was not prescribed by him, lest you be struck dead. OK, it, it was serious then as it is today. Uh, the old covenant involved worship that was carnal and ceremonial, whereas under the new covenant, Spiritual worship is the focus. So some ways we talked about how God manifested himself. He, he manifested himself as a formless fire. Exodus chapter three, verse two will show you that his his glory filled the tabernacle. Let's turn to Exodus chapter 40, uh, verses 34 through 38 and read that. Exodus chapter 40, <clears throat> verses 34 through 38. Starting in verse 34, it says, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the <coughs> tabernacle. Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it. 
and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up over the tabernacle, the sons of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out until the day when it was taken up. For throughout all their journeys, the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle day by day, and there was fire in it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel. So God made his his glory manifest in the tabernacle, filled the tabernacle. He made uh, his glory manifest in a great way in first uh, Kings chapter eight, verses 10 through 11. Let's take a look at that. Starting in verse 10, it says it happened that when the priests came from the holy place, the cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. So these are just some ways that uh, it shows scripture shows that God made his glory manifest and this is again in keeping with him uh being spirit this shows that he could not be contained to a physical location now christ is the lamb of god this in contrast to the the sacrificial system that was in place before and under the old covenant now christ is the lamb of god who takes away the sin of the world. John chapter 1, verse 29. He is also the temple where God's people meet him. So let's take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, and then Ephesians chapter 2, verses 20 through 22. First Corinthians three sixteen. <clears throat> it says, do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the spirit of God dwells in you? Let's flip to Ephesians chapter two. Verses 20 through 22. Starting in verse 20, it says, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the spirit. So just a couple of examples there, you know, just showing how God's temple, um, 
the, that, that Christ is the temple where God's people meet with him. Since God is spirit, he demands worship that transcends physical things, but engages our spirits with the spirit of Christ to perform a more spiritual form of worship in new covenant simplicity. See, how else could we approach God correctly apart from Christ? How could we? There is no way. There is no way that we can properly approach holy God apart from Christ. God is of spiritual essence and therefore must be worshipped with a spiritual worship. So the Samaritan woman in John chapter four, she was she was focused on where to worship. And not only was she wrong about that, she was also wrong about how to worship. She was off on that as well. So an appointed location did not matter, but rather how God was worshiped was what was the uh, what's what was of utmost importance. And how is he to be worshipped in spirit and truth? So. Some implications of that. Number one, any any questions before we move on? Any questions or comments? Are we good so far? OK, so. <clears throat> idol worship. Idol worship in any form is strictly prohibited by God. He says you shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. It's Exodus chapter 20, verses four through six. So idol worship in any form is strictly prohibited by God. To think we can make an image of God, a piece of marble or an ingo of gold is a greater debasing of him than it would be of a great prince if you should represent him in the statue of a frog. That's a quote from Stephen Charnock. Um, so we cannot make an image of God and worship that image in place of him. And that's important, again, with, for, with him being spirit to Make an image of him and worship that image is degrading. It brings God down to the level of uh, of of what satisfies us, us seeing something, you know, to satisfy us. So we worship then what we see. We get a picture in our head of what we think that God looks like and we worship that it brings God down. You know, we have to. Get our minds around what scripture tells us about God and who he is. And we worship based on what scripture tells us. Um, pantheism. 
That is a form of idolatry. In pantheism, it says that God is everything and everyone. And everyone and everything is God. That's just what pantheism says in a nutshell. So the universe, God. Rocks, God. Trees, God. All divine. You know, it's not saying that that it's just created by God, but it's saying that it is God and people will worship the universe. They will worship rocks. They will worship trees, you know, saying that that is God. The chair that we sit on, this it's God. You know, those are the things that's the foolishness of um, pantheism, uh, panentheism. Another form of idolatry says that the universe is part of God's being. It it complements his spiritual part. So saying that this universe is what makes up God. It's, It's a part of him, just like our soul is a part of us. The universe is a part of God, and that's what uh, makes him up uh, or makes uh, God. It's a part of him. But this isn't true. And people will point to uh, Psalm 139, which, uh, y- you know, if we want to take a look at that real quick. <clears throat> Psalm 139, verses seven through eight, they'll use this. As an argument. It says, where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. So, you know, those that that could be used as an argument for God being the universe. So you can't get away from him wherever you go. If you go to the highest heights or the lowest low, that is God. That's why you can't get away from him. But that's not what that means. And Luke preached about that a couple of weeks ago. So, um, you know, this is it, it's speaking about the omniscience of God. But people will take and twist scripture to mean something completely different okay any questions no good all right other forms of idol worship are the more traditional things like that that we see like pictures of jesus um for instance the 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 church that i grew up in um there was a huge picture of jesus in the back like in in the vestibule so back or front depending on where you you know Come in, leave out. But a huge picture of Jesus, blonde haired, blue eyed Jesus, huge picture, just staring off in the space. You know what I mean? With this, uh, you know, look on his face, just, you know, and so you get that picture in your mind that that's who well, that's what Jesus looks like, you know, and then you worship, you go to worship God. That picture's in your head, you know, uh, we even. <laughs> we used to have at my house someone got for my mom either my mom or dad and she set it up on the shelf it was this ceramic um uh this ceramic creation almost like a 
3D thing. It was about maybe like this big, but you sit it on the shelf and as you walk by it, you know, it had different carvings that went all the way in. And as you would walk by it, it looked like that Jesus figure was watching you wherever you go. <laughs> so it's like, you know, you get that picture in your head. You know, this is what Jesus looks like, and he's watching you wherever you go, so watch what you do, you know? So yeah. silly things like that, you, you know? But Roman Catholicism, they are big on images and statues in their worship. That is not true worship and their their entire doctrine is really a it's it's a demonic doctrine you know we were um downtown one time and in front of Planned Parenthood Chad and I were talking to um talking to a guy we were talking to Jimmy down there and as we were talking to him you know there was this guy he was just standing off like, you know, maybe about five feet away from us standing up against the building. And he was just looking at us the whole time, just watching us, did not say a word. And when he finally got his opportunity to say something, he walked over to us and um, he said, you know, he said, I don't agree with what you guys are saying. And he said, I'm going to tell you why. He said, let me tell you about an experience that I had. He said, I was driving down the highway and I was on a motorcycle. There was an 18 wheeler coming the other way and it swerved, came across the line. Next thing I know, you know, he said, fell off of my bike. And then moments later, he said, I came to. He said I was sitting on the um, he said I was sitting on the uh, guardrail, you know, and he said, I don't know how, you know, but nothing happened to me. Now, fast forward, he attributed that to his 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 prayer in the Catholic churches. He said, I'm telling you, he said, if you go. And he used the Holy Eucharist is what he said as an example. He said, if you go and you just stare at it, he said, I'm telling you, he said, uh, 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 it'll do something for you. It'll change you. You know, I said, OK, I said, but what does any of this mean for you personally in your relationship with Christ? What does this have to do with your salvation and repenting of your sin and turning to Christ? Well, I don't know about all of that. You know what I mean? And he goes back to the he said, you know, just just do it. Just do it sometime. I'm telling you, just go and just stare. I said, no, you know, we're not going to do that, you know. But what is promoted there? Within that that system of Catholicism is it's fleshly worship and it's something that pleases them instead of the spiritual worship that pleases God, that God demands. 
uh, all of the ceremonies, the holy days, the honor of men, the, the, the treatment of their bodies through ascetic uh, practices like abstaining uh, from indulgences and things like that, you know, on top of Mary worship, praying to saints, the list goes on and on. This all detracts from the true worship that God demands uh, of Jesus Christ as the uh, as the mediator. So, you know, that that is nowhere near true worship. It's it's more self-serving than uh, than anything else. So we must elevate and refine all of our notions of God and spiritualize our our, our uh, conceptions of him, taking it away from earthly things that we may have conceived in our minds about God. Because remember, God is spirit, you know, and how do we do that? How do we get that proper view of him? It's in his word. So now any any questions before we move on? Any comments? I have a question, actually. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so, like, what would you say to someone, like, you know, we're talking about, you know, God is spirit. We worship him in spirit. Like, <clears throat> and this might be, like, you know, too big of a conversation for this, but, like, what would you say about, like, okay, what about, like, the physical elements of worship, like standing when we sing or, you know, things like that? Or, like, um, you know, why not things... You know, like, you know, just, you know, watching sermons online and stuff like that. If it's all about kind of spiritual, like, mm-hmm. what would you say to somebody who was like saying that? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll, I will touch on that a little bit, you know, a little further on. Okay. But, you know, um, so our view of God, you know, we need to have in, in worship, we need to have that in formed view about who God is. So it's not just the the raising of our hands just to raise our hands, you know, to do what everybody else is doing or the 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 standing up, you know, like you said, the standing up just to stand up because everybody else is or, or gathering the in the assembling of believers just to gather. You know, all of those things, the lifting up of hands, the, the, the standing up, um, the gathering with the saints. This all comes from an informed uh, view of who God is and knowing more about him. So, you know, the more that you know about God, then the higher your level of worship. So you're going to lift your hands whether or not anyone else does because you have such a high view of God now and who he is that, you know, that that informed uh, that that worship is now informed. So when you're raising your hands, it's not just to raise your hands. It's because, you know, who God is when you're when you're assembling with other believers because you want that it's more um, you know we come together because it, it's on one accord we together know how 
great God is. And together we stand and together we lift up our hands and together we worship. But it's all informed by God's word. So that's what. So that's like she would say like that's kind of like the in truth part of worshiping spirit and in truth. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So the simplicity in worship, worshiping in spirit and truth. The old covenant was made obsolete. Hebrews 8, 13 uh, will tell you that uh, we get we can change. We can turn there real quick. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 13. And we'll actually read through um, chapter 9, uh, verse 14. It says this. It says, when he said a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. But whatever is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to disappear. On to verse um, Chapter nine, it says now even the first covenant had regulations of divine worship in the earthly sanctuary, for there was a tabernacle prepared, the outer one in which were the lampstand and the table and the sacred bread. This is called the holy place behind the second veil. There was a tabernacle, which is called the holy of holies. Having a golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold in which was a golden jar holding the manna and Aaron's rod which budded and the tables of the covenant. And above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. But of these things we cannot now speak in detail. Now, when these things have been so prepared, the priests are continually entering the outer tabernacle, performing the divine worship. But into the second, only the high priest enters once a year, not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the sins of the people committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit is signifying this, that the way into the holy place has not yet been disclosed while the outer tabernacle is still standing, which is a symbol for the present time. Accordingly, both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make the worshiper perfect in conscience, since they relate only to food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until a time of reformation. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands. That is to say, not of this creation and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood. He entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling those who have been defiled sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through, et- who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? So 
worshiping in spirit and truth. The old covenant made obsolete. No temples, <coughs> priests, or altars. Uh, Hebrews chapter 13, verses 9 through 16, uh, if you want to read that later on. So it's a simplicity in worship, and it involves the word. Simplicity in worship involves the word. The word read, the word prayed, the word sung, or singing of the word, preaching the word, seeing it made visible in baptism and communion. See, worship of God must be done in sincerity. That is, in spirit and truth. No mindless worship. So no no erratic or spontaneous, uncontrolled breakouts in the, in the middle of services like you'll see in, in the Word of Faith movement, in the Pentecostal church that's um, prevalent. You know, I grew up under that kind of stuff and seeing some crazy things, like, truly. I mean, people running in the walls and knocking their teeth out. You know, honestly, having leaving from a, a church service and going to the emergency room because they hit their head off the corner of one of the pews. You know, that is not informed worship of God. Now, we don't have to be cold in our worship. You know, we don't have to be the frozen chosen. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, but we want our worship to be informed. So we also want to avoid just going through the motions. So there are routines in place and an order of things whenever we gather as a congregation, but that should not be entered into as a matter of routine. Like, here we go again. We're just doing it over again. Another Sunday, you know, we're singing another song. <laughs> you know what I mean? What's the song going to be today? Or what am I going to be doing after this? How long is it going to take before we get out of here? You know, no, we don't want to just go through the motions or just check a box. We should be present in worship, worshiping God in an informed manner. Again, informed by the word, you know, singing the word, giving as uh, worship. You know, we don't want to just give as a matter of routine. It's offering time, so here's my money. You know what I mean? No. We want to thank God for making that provision uh, for us to be able to give back to build up his kingdom. Worship through the, the preached word. We should be ready to hear what God has to say to us through his word. Never is it about glory of the preacher ever. It's always about the glory of God. You should be pointed to Christ. Preaching is a form of worship, you know, and and when the word is being preached, it should be about Christ and bringing glory to him and no one else. Uh, because God is exalted through preaching. But what is your responsibility while the word is being preached? Be present, be engaged, you know, uh, present in mind, taking notes, you know, writing things down, you know, uh, allowing God to speak to you through his word. You know, we want to be there focused on the word of God. We're there for just a small period of time. What is more important, 
than focusing on the word of God and hearing his word preached. You know, and though we do have an order of things just in the church in general, you know, there is an order of things. Um, we we don't want to fall into traditionalism. You know what I mean? Doing something just because this is the way that it has been done. No emotion behind it. You know what I mean? We don't see the purpose of, you know, God's glory, you know, bringing God's glory to whatever it is that we are doing, whatever function that we are involved in. And we can fall into that trap if we're not, um, you know, if we're not careful. Ephesians chapter five, verses 18 through 19, it says this, it says, and do not get drunk with wine for that is dissipation, but be filled with the spirit, speaking to one another in (coughs) psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. So in spirit and in truth, personal worship, family worship. These are things that should be done also in spirit and in truth. Again, this is an informed worship of the triune God in your reading and make sure that you are reading God's word regularly. Go deeper to find out the things about God. You know, don't just read it on the surface level just to get your reading done for the day or your devotions done for the day. Go deep into scripture. Find out who God truly is. This is him speaking to you through his word. He put his word here for us to know what we need to know about salvation, what we need to know about him to build that relationship with him. Go deeper and find out more about the Lord so that your spiritual worship of him will be elevated to a higher level the more your knowledge of god is increased the higher your level of worship you cannot get enough or know too much about god you know continue to go deeper into his word finding out who he is when we pray we pray in the spirit now this again is informed and intelligent prayer you know not that all the things that we ask for really you know that we really need but this is an informed and intelligent prayer in the sense that you are praying according to who god is and what his will is praying in the spirit for some you know they'll they'll twist this and it means going off into some entranced state of being speaking in tongues or for some prophesying those kinds of things that is not what praying in the spirit is and that is not what scripture is getting at what this what does uh scripture say so jude 20 and 21 it says this it says but you beloved building yourselves up on your most holy faith praying in the holy spirit keep yourselves in the love of god waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. Ephesians 6, 18, it says, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit 
And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Romans chapter eight, verses 26 and 27 says this. It says in the same way, the spirit also helps our weakness for we do not know how to pray as we should. But the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. See, we're not always we don't know how always to pray, you know, but the spirit is searching us out and making intercession you know, with with the groanings that are too deep for words, but that, you know, the fact that we don't always pray in a correct manner does not mean that we should not search out God's will and pray according to his will. Pray that his will be done above all things, above anything that we want. We want God's will to be done um and we are as we're in this flesh like we talked about last week so you know we are weak in areas but thank god that we have the holy spirit who intercedes for us you know and accounts for our our weaknesses so we want to grow in godliness and if we are doing all of these things we should be growing in godliness as we are worshiping god in spirit and truth based on who he is there should be a noticeable spiritual growth within our lives we should be growing in our knowledge of god and excitement for the things of God is something that we should have and his will for our lives. That those things, uh, you know, that that would increase. You know, we, we want that excitement about God to increase from knowing who he is in his word. An increase in the fruit of the spirit should be evident. Okay. We should we should grow in love in joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You know, those are things that that should be evident, you know, as a part of our worship in spirit and in truth, because we're taking that time to learn who God is. And not only are we learning who he is. We are worshiping by being obedient to his word. We're not just finding out what his word says just to have that head knowledge. No, we want to be obedient to what God says. And as we search out who he is, find out who he is as we obey his word, we are going to Grow, You know, there will be growth in these areas and they will continue to increase. Now, the fruit of the spirit, there, there's never too much. Can you ever be too loving? Can you have too much joy? Can you have too much, too much peace or patience or self-control or 
gentleness, faithfulness. Is there too much? Against these things, there is no law. So we want to increase in those things. And we will whenever we go to God's word and learn who he is. So the fruit of the spirit, it's not, you know, it's not different pieces like nine different pieces. Now, this is the fruit of the spirit. You know, one, just like the attributes of God cannot be separated. You know, there are now look, there are areas that we need to grow in one and more than another, one more than another. But it's the fruit of the spirit. It's one fruit. You know what I mean? It's not different pieces, you know, and we depend on God to grow us in uh, in those areas. So we grow in the things of God. And these things will be evident in us, but also the fruit of the spirit increases the deeds of the flesh die. See, those are things that also we want to pay attention to. We don't want to neglect those those deeds of the flesh and sin as we worship in spirit and truth. We are going to have an ever growing hatred of our sin because we see how holy God is and we are going to hate our sin. See, worshiping God in spirit and truth, it, it, it's much more than visible behavior. You know, we are to serve God with our spirit, as Paul said in Romans 1, 9, he says, I serve in my spirit, you know, but it's it's much more than visible behavior, because remember, God is spirit. OK, and everything that we do, you know, it's not always going to be something that is out front and <coughs> visible. You know, someone isn't going to you know, they're not going to see our excitement, you you know what I mean, for Christ, the growth that is taking place on the inside of us. They're not going to see that. They'll see the results of it. Some people will. Other people will think we're crazy. Right. (laughs) But, um, you know, it's not always about, you know, the 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 visible things, because God is spirit, you know, so in spirit and truth. So let's be reminded of what scripture tells us as we prepare to uh, to conclude here. It says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Mark chapter 12, verse 30 tells us, see, these are things, you know, that and and we're not going to do it perfectly. Right. But we don't want to make excuses for ourselves, you know, but that's what we need to focus on. If we are going to worship God in spirit and in truth, love him, obey his command, love him with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. You know, everything, these things that are on the inside, you know, you can't go and lift weights to love God more. <laughs> you know what I mean? You can't go and run 10 miles to love God more. No. These things come through the informed worship of, of, of um, 
who he is and who he shows us to be in his word. That's how we grow and that's how we increase in our worship in spirit and in truth. Any questions? Any more comments? No. Now, one final caution. As we seek to worship God in spirit and truth. And listen, there is so much more that can be said about this and and this portion of scripture, you know, a lot. But, you know, these are just a few things, just pulling out a few things of how we are supposed to worship God in spirit and in truth. But one thing, too, we want to caution, be cautioned against sin. Okay, specifically sin of the spirit. And it's easy to look at fleshly sin like adultery and drunkenness and outbursts of anger and see the need to be critical of those things and try to correct those things. However, there's also sin of the spirit, the things that are not visible about pride. You know, what about envy? What about malice? What about greed, wickedness, self-righteousness, covetousness? You know, those are things that now. Will it come out? Yeah, it will. If you don't deal with it, it will come out. But these are things that can easily be hidden. But see, God knows and he is offended by those sins. So we have to pay attention as we are seeking to worship him in spirit, in truth, that we are paying attention to those sins that are not easily visible to the eye. Because we can put on a show for anyone at any time. But what about those things that are hidden here in our heart? You know, as we seek to worship him in spirit and truth, we have to deal with sin. And deal violently with sin. Do not give room to it at all. It will devour you. It will. And it's all these these things that we hide these are offenses against god it's all it's it's hidden in our heart and if we are not crucifying that sin it will spring forth the word says this it says for from within out of the heart of men proceed the evil thoughts fornications thefts murders Adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride and foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. This is Mark. That's Mark chapter seven, verses twenty one through twenty three. See, these things, as long as you give way to them and don't deal with them in your heart and crucify That sin through the power of the Holy Spirit, they will come out. So we want to be cautioned as we are 
seeking to worship God in spirit and truth that we are dealing with sin. We don't want that. You know, we don't want sin to devour us, which it will. You know, so we have to be aware of that spiritual sin that creeps up in our lives. And we'll end here. It says now to those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the spirit, let us also walk Amen. by the spirit. Galatians chapter five, verses 24 to 25. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, God, and we are barely, barely scratching the surface here as we talk about what it means to worship you in spirit and truth. God, you demand our worship be in spirit and truth. And Father, we must learn more about you in your word. Learn who you truly are God and as we learn more about you God the more our knowledge increases the higher our level of worship will be God and we want to know more about you give us that hunger for your word God give us the thirst for your word the thirst for righteousness God help us to grow in knowledge of you the things of your word and righteousness help us to be obedient god to you and lord help us to be cautious and aware of the sin that could so easily creep up in our lives god even during our well-intended seeking and searching out of you god sin is crouching at the door and it wants to master us, God, but we have the power of the Holy Spirit living on the inside of us. God, help us to be aware of our weaknesses, God, and help us to always worship you as your word demands in spirit and in truth. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.